If you would, open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. I have been kind of going through Luke a little bit in my private time. I felt so drawn here. And it's amazing, you know, Bible study isn't boring. You might do it in a boring way. You might mine down into every nuance of every word to the point where you obliterate Scripture and you make it like sandpaper on your eyes. But really, it's a it's bread. It's something to be eaten and chewed on, yes, and digested, yes, and then it's supposed to give life. So that's what the Word of God really is. And, and uh, sometimes it's really exciting. You're sitting there, and you're studying, and you're looking at some commentaries and things like this, and you're just like, boom! And, and, I, and that happened this uh, past Tuesday morning. I was like, whoa, whoa, oh my goodness, kind of a thing. Bible study should be more like that than the other side. But uh, this was one of those woe moments for me, and, and I think it's probably because just sometimes when you're going through things in your personal life, and you see it in Scripture, it just shouts to you, and it just begins to minister to where you at in the Lord. And uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, I titled this Reproach, Reproach and Resurrection. And I'd like to define that word reproach. It means to mock, to insult, or to disgrace. Who here likes to be disgraced, insulted, and mocked? Why not? Hurtful? Don't, don't feel good. Yeah? It's, it's, it's shame. Shame is called shame for a reason, right? Reproach is called reproach for a reason. Maybe we can't put it in a little box and I can't measure it out with the numbers and say this is why it hurts. But I am made in the image of God. I have feelings and emotions. And there is a way that someone can act towards me where I feel mocked, insulted. And reproached. And I want to look at two lives here. I want to look at the reproach of, a, of an older woman named Elizabeth. It says in, the, in uh, Luke 1 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And I'm going to kind of skip through this here, so just follow along. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. It was because of Elizabeth that they didn't have a child. It wasn't a question. It says it right there. It says she was barren, right? Just like Sarah in the Old Testament in Genesis. um, She didn't have a baby, right? Because she could not conceive. You know, a lot of times in the Jewish culture, if there was not a baby, the woman would automatically be blamed, you know, instead of the man. Uh, unfairly so, but in this we can see it really was, it was her, and she could do nothing about it. And it wasn't because she didn't love God. It wasn't because she didn't honor God that she was unable to produce life. She had no choice in that matter, right? When the fall came, Genesis 3, in the garden, damage came into humanity, not because God wanted it inserted into our lives. No, but because we willfully brought it down onto ourselves. It's like having a a three or four year old child and there are pots and pans above them and they just start pulling on a dish towel. And that dish towel has all these pots and pans and you always tell your child, don't pull that. I just put it right there. I just need it right there. There's a drip, whatever. But if you pull it down, it will hurt. And then they pull it down and then everything falls onto them. It's because they pulled it down and now they face the consequences of a busted tooth, a hurt head, Bobos, a black eye, etc. And our damage in the garden was much, much deeper than a little wound like that. 
it was so painful that there's even such a thing called reproach now. And that's because of the fall in the garden. And this woman is suffering reproach because of sin of man. Not her personal sin, but the condition that we are now born in because of our forefathers, Adam and Eve, that they brought upon us. God helped them in heaven. It's a good thing that we're all going to be changed and made just like Jesus in heaven. Otherwise, we might all give a gut shot to Adam on the way in. To be truthful, all the pain that we've suffered when we can bring it back there. It says that they were righteous and they loved God. And so one day, the chance of a lifetime, once only, there were so many priests during this time, it was actually too many, that it was kind of like the National Guard Reserves, where you go and you serve two weeks a year. That's exactly what the priests were doing at this time. So he was going to serve his two weeks in the year at the temple, and he gets to burn the incense before the Lord. And because he was serving just two weeks a year in a lifetime, this was the one time he was going to be able to do it, which is why it was also so special that God met him there, sent an angel there to tell him, don't be afraid. Here comes this powerful being and says, don't be afraid. Fear fell upon him. And it says, your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. This reproach had been on this family decades. They were advanced in age. We're going to, we're going to pretend like they're in their seventies or 80s. Maybe they're a little younger. That's a little bit older back then, but today that's not that old. They had felt it. They had known the pain. They had probably wept. They had been probably, he had probably been encouraged at one point to divorce his wife and find another one who would bear him a child. Because the Jewish leaders of this day, if a woman would not produce a baby for the husband, they would be encouraged to divorce the woman and find another woman who could actually give them children. Because to them, it was so important to continue their lineage. There was honor in it. And they assumed it was the defect of the wife. Wife. It was awful. It was awful. It was also economically terrible. Because once you got older, you had no safety net. There's no social security. There's no 401k. There's no, I served in the military 20 years or at Exxon for however many years. And I have a retirement plan. Nothing. There's no going to Walmart and being a greeter and a person at the checkout line. This is hard labor. It's fishing. It's all of this. If you have not built up wealth in your life, you are going to be not well off. That simple. So having no child was also going to be disastrous, not from their past and their present of shame, but for their future. This was painful. This was difficult. And in that reproach, God speaks to them. And in verse 24, she gets pregnant. Hallelujah. He moves in faith. And the days of Elizabeth, she conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. I can only imagine. She probably wondered, will, it, will I miscarry? But no, she never did. And perhaps her faith was full throttled. And she was just like, yes, I can't believe this. This is amazing. And thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This woman, if I haven't made it clear enough, had suffered in the minds and maybe even the mouths of the people in her community around her. She had felt terrible, but in a moment it was wiped away. But again, she had no choice in her reproach. You might have reproach and you have had zero choice in the matter, right? Maybe, who knows what it can be? We'll get into those things. But Mary, here's a faithful young girl, no younger than 12, no older than 16, 
Six months after uh, this happens and the angel Gabriel is speaking to Zechariah about his wife Elizabeth, he goes to a virgin who's engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And this virgin's name was Mary. And it uses two words there to declare not only is she a young lady, but she's also sexually pure. She's not just young. She's never been with a man. And he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And this is strange because you've got to see that women in this society were looked down upon. If anyone thinks women are looked down upon in our society, I encourage you to get a history book and actually go look what that really is and to wake up. This woman never would have been promoted. She never would have been greeted with any sort of salutation. Nothing special ever. Young woman, you know, would have been just kind of treated like that. But here comes this angel from God and says, oh, favored one. Wow. And she's like, whoa, I am being given almost like this royal welcome here by an angel's greetings. The Lord is with you. The Lord's with me to do what? To bring you a son, the Messiah. Okay, what else? To bring you reproach. The Lord is here, Mary, to bring you reproach on your life and his plan. That is what he is asking you to take part in. There was nothing reproachful in the conception of Jesus. It was a miracle just as much as God spoke into the darkness and he said, let there be light and there was light. Nothing ungodly happened. He just simply spoke and the second person of the Trinity is now conceived in human form and she's carrying him. But what would that have meant for her? She's engaged. And back then engagement, you had to be divorced to get unengaged. You'd be engaged for a year. You could never be together. Sounds quite painful. You know, you're basically married, but not being married. You can't really have alone time or any of these things. And she says, how will this happen since I'm a virgin? How do you think it would have felt for her as she got a bump, right? A lady gets pregnant here. She's been trying for a while and she has her baby bump. She's so excited. She's finally starting to show. But for her, there's no joy in that. Not in the human perspective. There's only reproach. There's only in the minds of people when they see it, she's, that's wicked, right? Even Joseph, an honorable man who was righteous before God, had to have an angelic visit to tell him, no, Joseph, this really is of God. This is not ungodliness. She was not violated and she's not given herself to another. This is my doing. So what did everyone else around her think? And that was reproach in the will of God. And you know, she probably would have carried that reproach in the minds of some people the rest of her life. If she had continued on in this town, as people aged with her the same age, oh, I know what happened to Mary. Oh, I know how Jesus came along. Either Joseph couldn't wait, and he was an ungodly self-controlled man, she was an immoral woman, or perhaps she was taken advantage of by one of the Roman soldiers, which is actually what some Jewish people began to say later on about Jesus. After his ministry and death and burial and resurrection. But you've got to see that the will of God actually led her into the greatest reproach of her life. And she said, yes, be it done unto me according to your will. And this just doesn't fit into our American Christian narrative. When everything is, you're going down so you can come up. You're going, you're going little so you can get broken so you can make more room for your blessing because it's all about you and it's all about God getting glory because the more blessed you are, the more glorified Jesus is. Can I get an amen? Woo! Yeah! And everybody loves blessings. I love blessings. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and it adds no sorrow to it. Hallelujah. Fat 401k, praise the Lord. 
Retirement, a plethora of children like the Van Valkenburgs, praise God. These are wonderful things, but they don't signify my godliness or God's pleasure on me or show me how faithful I've been. I don't care what your TV evangelist says. Cut the cable. Don't listen to that trash. Does he bless his people? Absolutely. But how many of you know that some of the most godly people have been the most reproached people on the earth? Was anyone more reproached than Jesus? Can you think of anyone? How could God allow reproach? Maybe something someone's born with, childlessness, or cause them and call them to walk into it willingly. And then they do know and they're part of it. Who would possibly, what kind of a God is that? A God who knows what he's doing. Even when I don't know what he's doing. And when I don't understand. And I've got to know he is doing it for a reason or allowing it and will turn it for good. He is going to weave it into his story. I won't blame God for the DUI or if that's my doing or the drunk driver who runs into someone and crashes and they shatter their leg. No, but he can use that if I put it back into his hands for good. God's own son was horribly reproached. No one more than him. He was rejected in his hometown. His family distanced themselves from them because they were afraid they'd be kicked out of the synagogue by the Jews. His own brothers and sisters. He was rejected by the religious authorities. They even said he was empowered by Satan because he was casting out devils. And they said, oh, it's got to be because he's empowered by the prince of the devils. He was slandered for reaching out to the prostitutes, for the drunks to rescue them. He was called a drunk falsely. He was attacked by different religious groups even more. His life was plotted against for death. He was betrayed by one of his own apostles. He was abandoned by all of his disciples. He was mocked, spit upon, beaten. A crowd of people who probably saw at least one miracle were calling out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You've got to believe that at least Several dozen in that crowd had seen him do something or had maybe even said Hosanna in the, the highest. He, he had been so popular just a few days before. He was forced to walk carrying his own torture device across. He was nailed to a rough wooden beam naked. There was no white cloth on him because the cross was intended to be shameful. Anyone who died on the cross, it was awful. In fact, Roman citizens were not even supposed to be put to death on the cross because it was so vile. And let's not forget that he was reviled by two revolutionaries, one on his left and one on his right. If you're really the son of God, get us down to how they had the ability to even say that with nails in their hands and their feet. I have no clue. But it was written of Jesus Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He was in front of tens of thousands. This was not some quiet scene up on a little hill with a small crowd like we might see. This was the Passover. All the Jewish males from all over the world were called to come back to Jerusalem for this. The Apostle Paul was probably there. Because he was a faithful Jew. He was probably there and he was probably insulting Jesus. Though we have no record of it, we could probably safely assume that. But what we do know is tens of thousands, if not 
100,000 or more people were there traveling into the city, coming by. This naked, abused, beaten, rejected man, humiliated, reproached. If God will do that to himself, if God will do that to his son, how can we ever say God would never let me walk in reproach for his purposes too? That would be the height of foolishness. I don't go out seeking reproach. I'm not, I'm not Googling, how can I be spit in the face? But in this life, following him, there is going, it's going to come. And I can't be shocked when it comes because I'm so coddled. I've got cotton balls and, you know, all that kind of wrapped around me, you know, and I say fragile. Going through life and I'm in this little thing and I'm fragile. Anything bumps me, it breaks me. I'm soft. Softer than I want to be. Softer than I should be. I don't want that. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be overly tough and like leather. But I want the ability to walk through whatever God calls me in, trusting him. Is he not the one who said he would take all things and work them together for good? For those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And if his purpose is ultimately our being conformed to the image of Christ, we will be conformed to him in his death and suffering, but we will also be conformed in his resurrection. Because reproach is never the end of the story. There is always in God resurrection, but it doesn't necessarily happen in this life. Many people in Hebrews 11, they saw great things. They were delivered from the sword. They were delivered from the fire. They were delivered from the flood. They were delivered from persecution. But then there were also people who were sawed in half, had their heads removed. Paul had his head chopped off. We we're told that Peter was crucified upside down, alone, rejected, mocked, reproached. But what do you think heaven says about those people? And what do you think hell says about the people who did that to them? Our reproach can even be used by God as judgment on others in hell. Not that we'd ever wish anything like that, but I'm just telling you that is truth. That is truth. There's more important things than shame, and that's the completion of his purpose because he sees the end. Maybe your finances are just not where you want them to be. And it's not that you don't have a little extra each month. Maybe like you, you actually just feel like reproached when you look at your financial situation. You've been wise, you've been frugal, you've been faithful to honor God with your tithes and your offerings. And maybe you hold it quietly, maybe no one knows. But in your heart, when you stop and think about it, you're like, man, I just feel shame and mocked and reproached inside. Maybe you're childless, no spouse, and you're ashamed, and you think something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It doesn't mean anything's wrong in your beauty, your handsomeness. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with your personality. Maybe you lost your job, and you feel reproached, and you feel mocked, or your spouse was unfaithful to you. What did I do, God, to deserve this? Nothing. We live in a sinful world. And these things impact all of our lives. Maybe you have lost children. You have sickness. Man, you've got sickness for a long time. Have I done something wrong, God? Do you love me less? Why, why were they healed of their vertigo? Why am I not healed of my cancer? Do you not care? Or suicide of a family member and you think, 
What shame upon me because somehow I didn't do enough to stop them. If I had known, I could have helped more. Maybe you couldn't have. But maybe you carry that mocking and the shame of the devil who would come at you. And I tend to think that maybe he can see our thoughts, though he is not all-knowing. All I know is I've said some stuff in my mind sometimes and never out loud and immediately an attack of the enemy has come into my mind. Whether he just knew how to read my body language to the microscopic level and knew what was going on or what, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But what I do know is this. He is constantly seeking to condemn believers, to mock us, to make us feel ashamed. If Satan would mock Christ to his face and say, bow down in front of me and I'll give you all these things, will he not also mock us? He will. Jesus said this, if they have said that the Son of Man is of Satan, what will they say of his household? I'm of Jesus' household. Or maybe you've obeyed and you have walked into reproach. Maybe it wasn't one of these things that just happened. It was a willful choice to do you walked in faith and you loved God and you said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do what you said. Whenever I was getting married, my wife's coming from overseas. I want to make our life comfortable for her. My lost coworker, who's my boss, offers me a job three hours away in Mississippi making double my wages. Y'all, double. All right? I'll just throw the number out there. It doesn't matter anymore. He offered me basically like $96,000 a year. And that was the value as well of the work truck. But... What was it going to cost me? It was going to cost me giving a church to my wife. It was going to cost me giving her a family that she could be cared within. I was going to be somewhere in a mobile home right outside of a coal field in Mississippi, helping to be maybe kind of like a plant project manager. Is it good? Might there be sacrifices sometimes that you take because it's necessary and God gives you the peace? Amen. But for me, I knew it was not God. And it was difficult. We scratched by. You know, I'm sure that I wasn't the wisest with our finances our first year or two of marriage, but I remember her wearing the same pair of, uh, of jeans. They just got more and more washed for the entire year until one day, you know, I didn't really know how to have a home. I didn't know how to care for a wife. I didn't know how to do these things. I'm learning it now, you know. And then she's like, I need, I need more. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I wish I would have worked more. But, but the fact is, I chose to the side of Jesus and it brought difficulty into life. It doesn't mean I chose wrong. It just means that life isn't always a bed of roses. Maybe you turned down a job. Or maybe, maybe you're even eating great value and getting the cheap gas. And nothing you do seems to work. And you just wonder, where are you, God? He is still a faithful provider. He is still good. He is still righteous. He is still on the throne. He is still our Father in heaven who will not let us go without Maybe there's a side job you need to do. Maybe something like that. Maybe it's something different. Maybe it's more spiritual in the sense of you spoke the gospel out at school, your neighborhood, the workplace, and now people hate you. Oh, you're that holy roller. Oh, yeah, don't, don't talk. Oh, yeah, we don't want to talk like that around Andrew. Oh, yeah, we don't want to say those words. We don't want to do that. And you feel the reproach of people. You feel that. You feel that they've rejected you, not because you've actually done anything wrong, but you've spoken about your king. And you've been reproached, you know you're mocked behind your back. If they'll say certain things to your face, there's, there's, there are whole paragraphs or books written about you behind your back. But we were told about that. And I want to tell you, don't despise your reproach. Embrace it. Embrace it. 
In military terms, I'll just put it this way, embrace the pain. That is what they tell the seals, the rangers, and others. Embrace the pain. Don't be shocked by it. Simply embrace it. But we don't embrace this alone. No, I embrace it and bring it straight to Jesus. This is my pain, Jesus. This is hard. This is difficult. I have someone I can bring my pain to. I'm not all alone. I'm not all alone. And even if your reproach is because of a poor decision, the blood of Jesus has not lost its power. And his throne of mercy and grace is not closed off to you no matter what you have done. Simply turn to him. Repent of it. Receive his forgiveness. Run to his mercy of grace. Be flooded with his peace and his presence. And then ask him, what's next? What do I do? I did do this to my life. Help me out. And I've done that as well. And he has helped me out again and again and again. Because he is good. He is good. He is good. God's purpose can be hard. I want to talk to you for a minute also about... um, I've been reading some biographies... Lately, about Navy SEALs, one that I definitely recommend is called The Seal of God, about a young man named Chad Williams. He was just intense. He was wild. He was all out. He was semi-professional skateboarder. He was, you know, working on charter fishing boats on weekends, pulling in big money in high school, all of these things. He just was a lot. And then um, he saw something about Navy SEALs and was like, that's what I'm going to do. He was just smoking pot all day, getting drunk all the time, first year in, in uh, community college and People who are a little bit older get their technical degrees, looked on him like a loser that he was, and he realized that. And then he's like, man, I want to do something with my life. So his father, being a good Christian father, he knew what the SEALs were. He knew that six months out of every two years, they were going to go overseas, some of the baddest places. They were either going to train military forces of other friendly nations, or they were going to be kicking down doors and looking for the guy, looking to take him alive. And how many of you know that whenever you're trying to take an animal or a human alive, I say animal because, you know, you've probably done hunting or you've taken your dog to the vet and they know a shot's coming, they're fighting against you. This isn't safe. They're on the front lines all the time. Even when we don't have active wars, they are active overseas running missions to keep us safe. So he said, you know what? I'm going to find a Navy SEAL and I'm going to have this guy run him so hard, work out with him so hard, he'll never want to become a SEAL. And then when that Navy SEAL punched him in the stomach at some point during it because he was being cocky, or at least the SEAL thought he was, and then said, keep up, three paces behind, no closer, no further. He began running a five and a half minute mile and just ran and ran and ran and ran. And this 20-year-old young man kept up. And when he reached the end, the former Navy SEAL stopped and he said, son, how much longer could you have run that? I I wouldn't have stopped till I died. And rather than turn his son away from the seals in that very moment, this man knew he would absolutely become a Navy SEAL. And they have this thing called the grind every day in BUDS. They go to their basic underwater demolition and scuba training and all of this. And they are running to the ground, 93 to 97% attrition rate. There's pain after pain. People will fall, they'll have broken bones, they won't say a word because if they do, they'll get recycled if they're allowed to into the previous class. And we are called to be soldiers. We are called to be soldiers. I like looking at the special forces because if I were a soldier, which I'm not, and I don't have what it takes, but in my mind, in my imagination, to me, I'd want to be one of them. 
You know, they have issues with their lifestyles and things like this, but we are called to be soldiers. We're told by Paul to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach other also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by grace. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So I would encourage all of you to pick up that, that, uh, that book, Seal of God. It's good. He comes out of that. He gets born again and he realizes this is not the lifestyle for me. The moment he turns to Christ, do you know what happens to him? He quits going to the strip clubs. He quits drinking with the guys. And that was the thing you did because you're a part of the brotherhood. That, that was what you did. And they began to malign him and mock him. How do we know we can trust you whenever we're out there and you've got our back if you won't go to the club with us right now? You've changed. What's wrong with you? Until one night things got extremely violent. They were training in Mississippi on uh, that year and a half of just continual training. He had been the designated driver who brought them there because he thought that's the only way I'm going to get out of this. These guys are acting really aggressive. They're acting like they want to get violent. Until one guy named Juggernaut, what a name, right? He got so drunk and he got into his face. They were right in front of the pool. It was wintertime. The day before, there had been ice on the surface. And he had been in cold water before in the 50 degrees off of the west coast of California. But that's nothing like temperatures in the, uh, around the freezing point. I mean, that's hypothermia. So he got in his face. He began to force him. Laps, do laps, do laps. Get out, get out. You got more in you? Go in there again. Do this again. Do this again. He started to fear for his life because he could feel all this strength, even as a Navy SEAL, being sapped from his body. He ended up smashing him in the head with his own head, headbutting him. He hit the concrete, was unconscious. Some other people pulled him out. He said, no, he's faking it. Get him up. So then they began running him harder, running him harder. His lieutenant came out, saw it, didn't like what was going on. He just walked away because he didn't want to get in the middle of it. He was all alone as a believer being reviled, being mocked. And he was afraid of death until they finally said, get on your knees and shave your own head. Now, I pray and believe that we won't necessarily individually encounter that circumstance. But what got him there was him saying, I'm not of this world. And not even shouting at them, not getting in their face, not saying, you dirty sinners, was just living a lifestyle that was befitting a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. A lifestyle that reflected the life of Jesus. And the way they treated him was like that. But God brought him out of that. He ended up going to another Navy SEAL team. He ended up rescuing his whole squad of guys. Whenever they were going to a house, they thought it was going to be quiet. And everything broke loose. Guys were getting hit. No one died. And he was able to protect and save every single person in his group. When they got back to base, they had a, uh, they had a predator drone, um, and they were able to get all the footage, you know, because they're spec ops, so they, they bring out everything. They were able to, to see exactly what was going on during the firefight. There had been this one guy who would always ask him on the field, how do I know you've got my back? How do I know that you're going to be with me? He said, you're just going to have to find out. What else was he supposed to say? And so the guy said, well, who was that? And Chad said, that was me on that 50 cal who saved everybody. And he just went, Not even that was enough. Because there is no pleasing the kingdom of darkness, y'all. We want to be accepted. Of course we do. But there is reproach living for Jesus in this world that belongs to Satan. 
The Bible says this world lives in the embrace of the wicked one. You don't live in the embrace if you don't like somebody. You do that if you're very comfortable with them and you have affection for them. Whether they know it or not, anyone who has not come to Christ, they belong to Satan. They are slaves of sin. If they say, I'm not a slave of sin, I like what Ray Comfort said. Okay, I challenge you not to lust for the next week. And one guy, I guess he was a little bit tipsy at the time, said, don't worry, I'm going to do that. He said, no, you won't, you can't, because you're a slave to it. And just like that soldier even encountered that from his own people, doesn't it make more sense that we would expect blowback, pushback from an opposing kingdom? Do you think that a Ukrainian soldier goes in the field and there's a Russian soldier and he lifts his weapon up and he's like, whoa, bro, what'd I do to you? Why are you shooting at me? Do you have a Ukrainian flag? Do you have an opposing uniform? Are our nations at war? They would never ask that question. And yet we ask the question, why do people hurt my feelings? Why do they treat me bad just because I'm a Christian? I mean, the biblical reality is not America over the past 50 or 60 years. That's not the biblical reality. Biblical reality is the beginning of America where one in five were a drunk. Christians weren't treated well at all. Or later on, whenever there was a revival and people who were at universities, they called them haystack prayer meetings. Why? Because if you didn't want to get beat up or made fun of as a Christian, you went out to the haystack or to the barn to have a prayer meeting. In America, that's our, that's our history in America. That's our heritage. And we are quickly moving that way again. If you've been watching the news at all and you see what happened in Tennessee, what's strange to me is this. The person who murdered those children and those adults, their community is now being defended. And is anyone, is anyone avail, uh, does anyone understand what gaslighting means? I'll, I'll explain it if anyone doesn't. Gaslighting means basically we're, we're in a conversation, you begin to accuse me of something, and then I'm like, no, 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 I don't do that, that's what you do. I begin to manipulate you until you begin to question your own sanity. And now it's like, wait, did I do that? To the point where they're having newscasts and they're saying, people in the LGBTQ community are scared of Christians. And it's like, wait, weren't Christians just murdered? But, but you, want, you want me to feel guilty that they're, they're afraid? Apparently this person wasn't afraid to bring in a weapon and go kill these people, right? And so my goal in that comment is not, we have to realize this, our war is not against flesh and blood. And Jesus' desire, no matter what community someone may say they are in, is to realize they are made in his image, deeply loved by him, and that he would willingly and freely forgive them of whatever they have done, no matter who they are, whatever physical state they are in, if they would turn to him. And that is the same heart that we as believers should be sharing with all people. But just because I disagree with a lifestyle does not mean that you somehow now have the right to go kill people and I should feel bad simply because I say, I believe God made male and female. Now, I'm not going to pummel you into the ground with my words. I'm not going to mock you or these things. But I just want us to see that this is where our nation is turning. It's more aligned now to the kingdom of darkness more and more as the days go forward. So we more and more have to have a soldier's mentality, a spiritual soldier's mentality. One of enduring hardness that says, though I am reproached, I will not strike back. 
with my words. I'm not going to do that. Though you revile me in the workplace, or you seek to fire me because I will not do your diversity, equity, and inclusion training, or I'll do it, but I don't necessarily agree with some of the things in it, or I have to tell you that I can't attend this co-worker's uh, party for the children, and these are things that I've had to do. You don't be, you're not mean in them. You don't cause a stink in them. You just simply stand with Jesus. You don't have to stand on a soapbox and condemn people. You can stand up for Jesus in love and humility and meekness, just like Jesus before his accusers. But that we would not be shaken. That we would not be moved when these things happen, just like a soldier is not moved whenever the bullets start flying at him because this is what I've been training for. I'm going to run into it. I'm going to run into it. And our weapons are the love of God and the gospel and his spirit. Sharon suffering is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Or if, if that illustration doesn't connect with you, it says an athlete is not crowned unless he complete, competes according to the rules. How many of you are an athlete in here or did athletics? Somebody over here? Yeah. It hurts, right? Right? The drills hurt. You have to lean into the pain. Why? Because if you put in the effort and the work in the drill, what happens at the game? You're there, right? Why? Muscle memory. I've done this. I'm agile. I've done this. I'm ready for it. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Paul uses another example, a hardworking farmer. Plows. You grab the plow. It's hard. It's wooden. There are splinters. You're getting blisters because you don't just grab it once a week, probably. No, you're going to plow acres and acres and acres. And oh man, you stubbed your toe in your sandal on a rock. And oh, you get bitten by, you know, some animal or snake or a spider in the midst of it or mosquitoes or gnats all in the middle of this. This is the mindset we're called to, not to be hard hearted but to be enabled by the grace of God and to ask for it so that when hard things come, I'm able to endure them in the spirit of Christ. That's what we're being called to do here. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. But here's the joy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's our hope, guys. This is a short existence. Though it is everything that we have ever known right now, we're told, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Remember him, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. As preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, I am bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. I serve a resurrected king who is king of all, who loves me, they're trying to shut down the word of God, but guess what? I might be in shackles, but I remember those people got saved over there and the word of God's in them and they're not in chains. The word of God's not going to be bound up. This kingdom's going to advance. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I'm enduring it for others. Because just like a rock being dropped into a pond has ripples that bring an effect, 
your and my obedience, disobedience, faith or lack of faith, we'll just put it that way, faith or lack of faith, will have an effect. It will. But God is the only one who gives us the strength to do this. If we have died with him, if we're persecuted with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. I encourage you to go read the book of Daniel and to read about what happens to the saints of the Most High God, how they rule and they reign with him and his kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever. The streets of gold are coming to earth. If you look at the end of Revelation, we see after that millennial kingdom, after the judgment seat and all of these things occur, we see heaven coming down as a bride for her bridegroom prepared. A thousand miles by a thousand miles, if I don't have it wrong. Right there in Jerusalem, ever to be with us. And this world which reproached us and rejected us, what will they say about us then? What will they say then? Just like people who may hold themselves up, they're terrorists overseas, and they say these things about our nation. Delta Force catches wind of it. Navy SEALs. SEAL Team 6 catches wind of it. There's an attack coming. They've spoken boastfully. 2 a.m. All you're going to hear is a charge go off at your door. Six to seven guys coming in who aren't going to say a lot, and they're going to look like aliens. As you have a red dot on your chest... And they've got their green goggles coming at you. They're going to zip tie you. And what are you going to say then? Nothing. If that is the kind of retribution meted out upon the earth. What will they say when they are brought before Jesus Christ as their judge? He has said that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And it's not that I always want us to meditate upon these things and say, yeah, they're going to really get it. That's not the point. But the point is this. They don't know what king and who his children are. That they are messing with. Leave it to him. Leave it to him. Let us walk this race. Not being shocked or turned aside from it. And leave the rest to the Lord. And let us bring as many people with us. As possible. That they might have been enemies of God. Just as I was an enemy of God. I was a blasphemer of God. I was the worst among my friends. I would have been the last. That they would have expected. Whatever be. Preaching, hallelujah, because God is able to take his worst enemies like Paul, change their hearts, give them a soft heart, wash them, forgive them, make them a child of his, and make them a soldier who goes and wins and defeats the principalities of darkness. Instead of zip tying them to bring them to judgment, they grab them, they're able to bring them out to freedom and to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let's not become bitter. If we become self-willed and try to do this alone, we're going to be discouraged. Or we're going to be tempted to stand down as the battle rages. What if in five or ten years, the news reports about Christians are always negative all the time? What if you can't actually say, I'm a believer without the possibility of having active, aggressive discrimination against you? On your job site. Let us meet that. With a heart filled. With Christ. Let us not stand down. Let us not be quiet. Let us ask God. What we should say. 
and the measure we should say it in, lest we should be guilty of saying the right thing the wrong way, because that brings us reproach as well. We don't want to be shy and turn away from the situations that God wants us to run into because we were fear, fear reproach and forget that our king that was reproached didn't stay reproached. He is glorified. And Romans 8, 28 through 30 also says, I shall be glorified with him as well. One day every eye is going to see the resurrected king. In Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, it was said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Well, Paul, that was, I mean, you, you were rejected and hurt and, and you know, persecuted. I, I get that. But also, you had a demon that came against you because of all of the revelations of God, right? Like, I mean, is that really me? No. He said, for the sake of Christ, I'm content with weaknesses and insults. He included insults in there. Hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Whatever you face, don't compare it to what another person faces. If it's hard for you, tell your God that it's hard for you. If you feel reproached in it, don't say, well, they've got it worse than me. I should just, you know. No, that's a good way to get a hard heart. It's to, even even this guy, oh, y'all. It's just so good to hear these people speak for themselves. A former Delta Force operator who said, if you compartmentalize this stuff you go through, you will be destroyed. Even these people who seem so hard into it, the ones who make it, really make it, and only deal with a little bit of PTSD and not a whole lot, are the ones who begin to open up to those around them or someone and say, what I had happened to me or saw happen, these hardships that I have faced... It was hard for me. And they find help in that. And if these mighty warriors can do that, we do not live by that ethos of a hardness. But we are soldiers and we can have a soft heart. Our Jesus said this, Father, if there's any other way than through the cross, oh God, show it to me. Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. An angel came, strengthened him. And then he began to cry out again. After strength, being strengthened by an angel. Oh God, this is heavy. Help me. Dro- great drops of blood being sweat out of his body. The stress that this God man was under. You need to be honest too. And invite God into it. Because we do not have the strength to overcome any reproach. Any rejection. Any hardships on our own. And if you think you do, just keep going in your own strength. Because eventually... You're going to run to sin, to be some sort of opioid, even if you never take a pill, to deal with the pain. You're going to find something. You're going to blame God. You're going to blame people around you. Or you'll just be bitter and white knuckled all the way to the end and have very little to show for it. You have been living a very vexed existence. So be honest in the pain. Be open to your God. We were told in Luke as well, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Just make sure it's for that account and not because of our rudeness. Rejoice in that day that you're rejected. Rejoice. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. There is laid up for every good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
every soldier. I don't, I'm going to take off good because we all fail. There is laid up for everyone who follows him and is living in faith with him. A reward for you. If people will come back and they've had a limb removed and they're an amputee because of their service to their country and they are proud and they receive a medal, what will you receive for what you have endured on this earth living in faith with him in heaven? They stand there to attention. They have it pinned upon their chest, a purple heart, a silver star, a bronze star, all of these things for their acts of valor. What is, what is heaven going to be like? What are we going to say when my mom gets up there and they say, she stood fast even when she felt not enough. She spoke to those student workers. She went and did outreach. She did the, she worked in the tech booth. She did the lyrics. She loved me. She served me. She did it. Come up, Deborah. Receive your reward even when you felt reproached by the enemy. And we will applaud her and we will rejoice for her because we'll say she did endure it. I know what it was like to deal with the pain too. The doubts and the questions and everything. And we'll just congratulate every single one that comes up. And then we'll lay it all at Jesus' feet. I want that day. I want us to be encouraged to endure reproach by the grace of God, but to hope for our resurrection. Because everyone who has endured by living his life and tasting in his death, we are guaranteed will, in fact, taste of his everlasting life and his resurrection. Focus on the resurrection Focus on it a lot. Think about it every day. Christ Jesus raised from the dead according to the scriptures. Our culture, it's built in and it helps us to remember his birth. But in our culture, it is not built in to help us for his death, burial, and resurrection. And sometimes I am ashamed to say that in my life, even as a believer, I have gone over the Easter weekend or the resurrection weekend without giving it much thoughtfulness. Though this is what allows me to raise with him, is his resurrection. So this week, think upon this, no matter what you're going through. And if you need a battle buddy, reach out. Reach out for help and get their help. Y'all come on, let's, let's just love the Lord. Let's just respond to him. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. You're faithful and good. I thank you, Lord. You call us to be soldiers and to endure it. But Lord, you endured your cross alone that we would never endure ours alone. You have said you are with us even until the end of the age. If anyone is here and they're enduring reproach, just in life in general, hardship in general, and they don't understand it, God, Father, I pray that you'd speak into their hearts right now. Give them encouragement. Give them a glimpse of yourself. Even if you don't provide the immediate path out of the situation, they would know that you're right there with them in the situation, even when it hurts, God. And we would entrust ourselves to you for your weaving together, your glory and your purposes.